0: Hello and welcome to Imprint podcast, where we share sermons and conversations about faith, life and culture. We believe it's the mark Jesus makes in us that allows us to positively mark our world. To find out more about life at Imprint, please head over to weareimprint.org for more information. We hope you are blessed by today's content. Listen, um, on Friday, we had a night vigil, and, and if you don't know who, what a night vigil is, essentially is um, all-night prayer and worship, and we were really praying over our city. We are praying that there will be revival in our city. Um, in other words, we were praying that there will be, like, just the Holy Spirit will just break out in our city, where he will reveal to people who Jesus is, and... Yeah, that's what we were praying into. And we're also praying that any, any form of scripture talks it, um, refers to it as strongholds, um, which basically is things that have kept people bound or imprisoned. And there's many people in this city who are addicted to lots of different stuff. There's many people who feel tormented in their minds physically, spiritually, and mentally. And we're just praying that the Lord will set free people, will set the captives free. And it was an extraordinary time. 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. And who was there? Wow, a few of you guys. It was, well, let me not talk for you, but it was lit. Like, I really enjoyed myself. And I just want to give a shout out to Benita and and the prayer team um, for organizing it and the worship team. If you're involved, put your hand up as well. Amazing. You guys were extraordinary and one of my highlights of the night was at 5:15 a.m. I believe exactly. <laughs> Uh, a like essentially we all split up we, we left the church and we all split up in different groups to go into the city of london and we we're just praying later i don't know if it's late at night or early in the morning which one what's what's the better english but early in the morning and um, we were just going and praying over over our city and we we're just saying god would you come and do a new thing in this city and Yeah, personally I enjoyed myself so much and there'll be more night vigils to come. So if you weren't there, next time is your opportunity, amen? Amen. So we have been doing a series called Church of the City. And a few years ago, I was in an event And I was invited to this event by a friend, and I was so excited. I was thinking to myself, I'm going to meet so many cool people, the vibes are going to be extraordinary. And when I went to this event, to my surprise, there was this weird culture among the people there. And the people were unusually sharp, and they were quite passive-aggressive. And the first time I heard someone say a degrading comment to another person, I just thought, perhaps that person has issues. But then I noticed that it wasn't just this person, but it was actually a lot of people in that particular space. It was just normal for them to throw subtle digs at one another, and it was normal for them to be quite passive, aggressive, and rude to one another. And I left that event with a thought, and this was my thought, I essentially thought to myself it would be so easy to show who to show these people who jesus is by just being gentle and kind it would be so easy and through my character and through my persona to point people to jesus because because what i saw in that event it completely contradicted the culture and the part posture of jesus and you know This is essentially, um, it's called going against the grain and Jesus went against the grain in many different things. so the title of my talk is called Against the Grain. And against the grain simply means something that is contrary, different to what is normal or usual. Jesus is gentle and kind whilst this event that was at, people were (laughs) passive aggressive and very sharp with one another. So that's an example of, of being against the grain. Another example of being against the grain, something that's different, unusual is, you know, starting your day at 4 a.m. is against the grain. Most people don't do that, but if you do, glory, glory to God, you, I wish I was like you, <laughs> 4 a.m. Another thing that's against the grain is having hot milk in your cereal. That's against the grain. I don't, know, I don't know why people do that. It's not normal, but if you're in this room, it's, it's still not normal, I'm so sorry. Another example of going against the grain, another example of going against the grain is rice with ketchup. I, don't, I know some people do this. Um, I don't recommend it. <laughs> But if that's you, Jesus still loves you. And I think you get my point. Being against the grain, being against the grain means you do something that opposes the social norms of today. And I think this is one of the best ways that you can actually point other people to God and actually demonstrate who God is. And I would love us today to actually dive into scripture and take a look at the story of David and for many of us we you know if we if we've grown up in church or been a Christian for a few years we'll know this story of David and Goliath but I quickly just wanted to share a fresh emphasis for us and focus specifically on how David opposed the culture of his day you guys ready for that amazing okay let's turn to first Samuel chapter 17 first samuel chapter 17 verse 1. it says this it says now the philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socar in judah they pitched camped at Ephes and damim between Socar and Asachar. saul and the israelites assembled and camped in the valley of elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another and the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. I just want to pause here. I think for many of us who perhaps know this story, I don't think we always acknowledge just how tall Goliath was. His height was six cubits and a span, which is the equivalent of 11.35 feet. 11.35 feet. So just to give you a visual aid, can I have my image come on the screen? So this is Sun Ming Ming. And <laughs> the small guy um, cracks me up <laughs> because, yeah, what can he do? <laughs> but um, Soon is basically the tallest basketball player in the world, and he is 7.8 feet. So you can just imagine Goliath, let's just imagine. So um, Soon, so Goliath to Soon is basically like that small man over there, that's how tall. Goliath was. 11.35 feet. So he was literally scripture's BFG. He was scripture's big friendly giant. But we can clearly see later on in scripture that he wasn't friendly at all. In verse 5, let's continue with the account. It says this, it says he had a bronze helmet on his head, talking about Goliath, and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze grievous, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer his shield went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. So you will become our slaves and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So Goliath here, so out comes this massive man, well, a giant literally, and he basically starts taunting the Israelite army and says, do you know what? There's no point us all fighting one another you choose one representative from the Israelite camp and I will fight them And if they can beat me, then we'll be your slaves But if they don't beat me, we will be um, you will be our slaves and Goliath here He's a negotiator and it seems like you know, this is a pretty fair deal But why was it such a big deal? obviously being 11.35 feet he Goliath had no expectation that there was anyone big enough or even strong enough to brace him so his ultimatum was actually a proclamation and a new announcement that the Israelites were now going to be slaves so that was their new identity slaves and Goliath speaks this identity over them he basically hints at that he's like you, you guys will be our subjects. And it just made me think that as Goliath sp- speaks this new identity over Israel, what are the identity, or what's the identity, that's, what's the identity that's being spoken over the UK? And earlier this week, I typed in Google, the UK is dot, 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 and it basically gave me some predicted suggestions and searches. So I'll read a few of them. It says The UK is screwed The UK is a failed state The UK is broken. The UK is in a mess. The UK is going downhill The UK is collapsing. The UK is depressing And this were the top suggested searches. And that's the way how Google predictive search works. It's an algorithm of the most popular searches. And this is how people identify the UK as a mess, as broken, a failed state going downhill. This is what's been spoken over our country. And many of us are not surprised with this. We're probably not surprised. We probably all feel the same. And even with London, this city that we find ourselves in, what do we tend to say over London? Similar to the UK searches, I read an article earlier this week that, was, that listed 99 problems with London. And I'll read some of them and maybe some of you guys can relate to this. So problem number one, chief strikes. <laughs> problem three, four, five and six are all the same. House prices, house prices, house prices, house prices. Problem seventeen. What on series seven of Made in Chelsea? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> problem thirty-five. The cinema is bewilderingly expensive, which is true. Problem. Yeah, a cinema ticket's what? Fifteen quid now. Sometimes twenty. <laughs> Has anyone seen more than that? Twenty-five? Any takers? No. Okay, we'll we'll stop at twenty. <laughs> Which is still a lot. Problem 39, bus replacement service. (laughs) Problem 53, want a last minute table in Soho, ha ha ha. (laughs) Problem 58, the Northern Line and Central Line. (gasps) Sorry for you East Londoners. Problem 63, car fines. Problem 64, the outside air is one big asthma factory. (laughs) Problem 69, the shower doesn't look finished. (laughs) I think that's so rude. (laughs) Problem 70, according to TFL, two centimeters of snow is an extreme weather condition. (laughs) Problem 78, foxes. Problem 79, New Year's Eve puts you in depth for the new year. <laughs> Problem 81, unless you're at church, hallelujah. <laughs> 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 Problem 81, buses seemingly terminate at random. Problem 84, the tube closing at midnight problem 98 south London is a third of the population in London and there's less of less than 10% of the tube stations are in south London so London the UK as we can see is clearly in in an identity crisis we need a PR manager And what does David do when his people and his nation are in an identity crisis of their own? When they're literally about to be put into slavery. David was the youngest of eight sons and his father was called Jesse. And David often would stay on the fields, tending the sheep. And David had three eldest brothers that that were a part of the Israelite military forces. And David's father, Jesse, tells David in this account to go and check on his brothers to go down to the Israelite camp and to see how they are doing. So that's what David does. And we can read on from verse 20. It says early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions. Shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers, how are they, how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man? Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. He comes out to insult us, essentially. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him the daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Wow. Verse 26. David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, who kills Goliath, and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. I I find it so funny that that's an insult. (laughs) Like David is like, you know, who is this uncircumcised? Why are you you talking? You're not even circumcised. (laughs) But you know, apparently it's a bar. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? so just imagine david has gone down to the israelites military base to go and check on the welfare of his brothers and as he's speaking to his brothers out comes this giant called goliath he comes out and he threatens the stability and the peace of israel and what does david do He goes against the grain. He contradicts everyone else's responses. And the first way he goes against the grain is that he speaks out whilst everyone else remains silent. So that's the first way he speaks out whilst everyone else remains silent. And we see this in verse 26. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine bar that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David doesn't just accept the fate of his nation. He's not like, well, Goliath is here. I guess we're all doomed. I guess we're all gonna die. He speaks out and history is filled and with many different historical figures, with many different heroes of faith that spoke out. Like Martin Luther King Jr., for example. He didn't just accept the fate of his nation. He, He wasn't just settled with the idea that the US will stay a segregated society. And in his speech delivered in 1963, he spoke of a dream of a United States that is void of segregation and racism and he helped to mobilize a movement he didn't just accept the supposed fate of his country and the thing is church if our response to if if our response is to just accept what we're hearing on the news the injustices that are that are occurring the wars that are emerging the corruption that's prevailing and if our posture simply is well that's life it is what it is I guess we'll all do if this is our posture then I feel like we will not be in a place where we can accurately discern and see what God wants to do in this country we won't accurately discern and see how we can play a part in the transformation of this nation and I think sometimes even as Christians, especially in the West, we become so desensitized to corruption, to suffering, to injustice. But the truth is God is not indifferent on these things. And what does speaking out look like? One way it looks like, um, it looks like praying. And I've noticed that we don't pray what we tolerate. For example, If you tolerate rising energy costs so much so that families in our country are struggling, you won't pray. If you tolerate unethical leaders, you won't pray. If you tolerate discrimination, you won't pray about it. If you tolerate poverty, you won't pray about it. If you tolerate youth depression, you won't pray about it. We pray against things that we don't tolerate. And I think it's interesting how much we actually tolerate as a people group. So speaking out looks like prayer. David speaks out whilst others remain silent. Verse 27, if we continue, it says this. So actually even before verse 27, Speaking out, so David addresses as well the injustice. He basically is, some people call it like being um, a holy discontentment, where he's like, this guy, who is he to defy God's people? Who is he to defy the God of Israel? He has a holy discontentment and he speaks out of that. He basically says, he infers that this is not the way things should be. And I feel like we're called to speak out in so many of our different contexts and say, this is not what it should be. Okay, continuing on, verse 27, it says this. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, so they're speaking to David. This is what will be done for this man who kills him. You will have... You know taxes exempt you can marry the king's daughter blah 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 verse 28 when eliab david's oldest father heard him speaking with the men he burned with anger at him and asked why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with i know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is you came down only to watch the battle verse 29 now, what have I done, said David, can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David, was, and what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. I just want to pause here. It's interesting because this account shows clearly that sometimes it's the closest ones to you that will be waiting on you. And um, David was clearly anointed by God to bring deliverance to his people. But his eldest brother, Eliab, completely misjudged his intentions. And he thought David was just this arrogant little boy that was coming to just stir the pot. And sometimes people will misunderstand the very thing that God has anointed you to do. They will make assumptions about your character, and they will make assumptions about your intentions. But I love how David responds. David is basically like Broyski, if you're not gonna answer my question, I can find someone else. And he does find someone else. He turns to the other men who are not even related to him and they answer him. Let's carry on, verse 32. Then it says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this philistine your servant will go and fight him in other words david is saying let no one be discouraged let no one be fearful because of this uncircumcised Philistine." this is the second way that david moved and this is the second way that david um, went against the grain, went against the usual culture, the social norm that was surrounding him. David moved in faith whilst everyone else moved in fear. And in a world where there is a lot of bad news, you are not against the grain if you speak words of pessimism, fear, and negativity. For example, like our UK searches, if you say this country is rubbish if you say the leaders have no idea what they are doing if you say oh look at the energy crisis look at the house prices your declaration and your perspective over this city and nation is not unique everyone feels like that but could you imagine if you had this discipline inside of you where you spent time with God where you asked him about his perspective over this city what could happen I believe that you'll be able to articulate what God wants to do in this city. And not only would you be able to articulate it, but you will actually be able to impart hope to those who are hopeless. And I think that's perhaps something that we could even start implementing in our everyday prayer life, where we ask God, God, what is your perspective over my city? What is your perspective over my nation? And I feel as he shares his perspective, You will feel faith and joy start rising up and i love um, this quote that i heard where essentially it says that aren't you so happy that when you're having a bad day god is not having a bad day and the thing is he he wins at the end of the day there's going to be redemption there's going to be no more weeping there's going to be no more sorrow and i think um sometimes it takes just actually intentionally asking god what is your perspective for us to partner with him and it's interesting that as christians our perspectives are interesting that that as christians our perspectives are often just as negative and as dim as those that don't know jesus and this is why apostle Paul in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 says these words. He says, "Do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope." I love that. "In other words, do not mourn. Do not go into do not give yourself over to fear like the rest of mankind that have no hope. You have a hope." We are called not to have the same outlook the same perspective, the same confessions as those that have no hope, as those who don't know God. How is our perspectives different from them? We are called to have a joyful perspective. Verse 33, let's continue. It says, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him." you are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth verse 34 but david said to saul your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock i went after it i struck it and i rescued the sheep from its mouth when it turned on me i seized it by its hair struck it and killed it your servant your servant has killed both the lion and the bear this uncircumcised philistine he really loves that this uncircumcised philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living god the lord who rescued me from the poor of from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from this hand of this philistine. In other words, he's saying, I've seen the Lord do personal miracles in my life. I believe he's going to do a miracle right here for my nation as well. Thank you, boy. I've seen the Lord do a personal miracle in my life. I believe the Lord is going to do a a, corporate miracle for my nation as well. It goes on. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Verse 38, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him, and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic, and tried walking around, because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off, then he took his staff in his hand chose five smooth stones, I don't know why they're smooth, but five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So there's a few things I wanna draw from here. You know, if we are going to be a church of the city, if we are going to be um, a church that effectively witnesses, is, is an effective witness, um, of Jesus and is able to point other peoples to Jesus effectively we can't be quick to undermine each other when it comes to us you know doing something that God has called us to do does that make sense you know for example here Saul is basically saying to David that he is far too young and is far too, far too small to fight a giant and to fight an experienced, mature warrior like Goliath, so he discredits him. And I feel like, especially as a church, when someone is trying to do something bold for God, my prayer is that we won't be a community that's quick to disqualify each other and is quick to disqualify the other person, but rather we will be a group of people that are quick to affirm each other. For example, there's many times when, you know, Subtly, when someone says, oh, I feel like I'm meant to do this, you know, we're like, "Mm, well, you're kind of new to Christ, so, (laughs) you know, I don't think you should. Or actually, you have a crazy history, maybe this is not for you. Or actually, you just don't have enough understanding. And I think we need to watch ourselves at the subtle digs we give to one another, even in the church community. And people like Paul, even Paul became the apostle and the writer of the New Testament. And this really came about because there were people specifically who encouraged him like Barnabas. Obviously, he Paul was commissioned and anointed by the Lord, but it actually took people like Barnabas who affirmed him. who basically um, defended him publicly um, among um, defended him publicly within the church despite his horrific history. And perhaps we can be a community like that as well. And I think there's also people like David among us who we can do that to, who the Lord has actually anointed to bring mass deliverance, to bring mass freedom, to point other people to Jesus. Amen? Another thing that happens in this account is that Saul tries to put David in his own but David says I can't go in these I'm not used to them in other words he's saying this is not me and we can't prescribe how someone else's obedience to God should look like you know David basically felt like he needed to be the one to fight Goliath but Saul basically even though he didn't do it himself was like "Mm, I think this is the way you need to do it I think actually this is what you need to have and especially as a body we are not all the same we are all different and i think we need to make space for each other to operate in our own giftings uniquely based on the person god has called us to be for example i don't preach the same as benita janina or for example there's different people lead worship in different ways. There's people that prophesy in different ways. There's people that teach in different ways. There's people that even evangelize in different ways. And I think sometimes when things are different, we are quick to shut it down. But could you imagine if we're like, do you know what? It's great that the Lord has given this variation of different gifts among so many different personalities. If we were a community that basically said, we make space for you and your gifting, and we affirmed that, just imagine the breadth of the different types of people that we could reach amen and let's skip to verse 48 it goes on and it says as the philistine moved closer to attack david ran quickly so david is literally like okay i'm going to take on this goliath so as the philistine moved closer to attack him david ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him reaching into his bag and taking out a stone he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Boom. Then stone sank into his forehead. Actually, that's kind of deep. Okay, sorry. I'm just trying to imagine it. I'm a visual learner. So this, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stain, without a sword in his hand, like... Saul wanted him to have. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over the Philistine who took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So the last way that David goes against the grain, the last way that David opposes the culture around him, the social norm around him is that he takes action whilst everyone else remains passive. You know, David did a few things where he went against the grain. He speaks up, he spoke in faith, he moved in faith, and lastly, he takes action. He actually did something about, he actually did something. He ran with the Philistine with a sling in his hand and a stone, and he basically swung it and it struck the Philistine square in the face and killed him. It took him out. And I'm sure there were many men in the Israelite military forces who basically wanted to see Goliath dead, but it was only one man that actually got up to do something about him. And as Christians, it's great when we speak up against injustice. It's great when we pray for those who are vulnerable. It's great when we are filled with faith, but we also have to take risk and steps to reach our world. We also have to intentionally take action. And I love this picture of Jesus um, in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus is on a mountain and he's basically having this radical spiritual encounter that many of us just had in worship. He's having his own spiritual encounter with his father and his father says, this is my beloved son, his father is pouring out his love and affirmation over him. So you can just imagine Jesus is feeling the the warmth, the, the closeness, the intimacy of his father. It was a glorious moment. But Jesus didn't just stay on the mountain. He didn't stay high on the mountain. Jesus came down the mountain. And what did he do later on in in Matthew chapter 17 after he came down from the mountain? Jesus started healing the sick and he started casting out evil spirits from those who have been tormented, from from those who were being abused. And sometimes as Christians, we love our spiritual moments. We love when we are we, we have those mountain top moments like we did just earlier today. And we love to stay there and remain there. But sometimes we forget to come down from the mountain and actually take intentional steps and risk to reach our world. And it's twofold, Jesus does both. He spends intentional time with his father having great spiritual encounters, but he also takes steps to pray for people, to deliver people. We have to be both. And that's how we reach our world, amen? And just to summarize, going against the grain looks like this, as we can see in David's account. It looked like speaking up. It looked like radical faith in, in a sea of fear. And it looked like action whilst everyone else was remaining. And I feel like if we operate like this, we can actually see great deliverance and great freedom in our city. Amen.